Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. Our goal is to get to the root issues of systemic problems using a theological and psychological lens. We hope you enjoy. Putman Restoration is a proud sponsor of the Asking Why podcast. Putman Restoration specializes in commercial disaster services, including water damage, fire, smoke, mold, and storm. Their goal and desire is to get your properties up and running as soon as possible after disaster strikes. Hospitals, schools, hotels, and large municipal buildings. Malls, churches, and large commercial properties are their specialty. Manage properties nationwide? No problem. Putman Restoration Services, their clients nationwide. They are strategically partnered with elite restoration companies throughout the U.S. and Canada, giving their clients resources during disasters where normal companies would be tapped out. Trust the professionals at Putman Restoration when disaster strikes. Visit them online at www.putmanrestoration.com or give them a call at 318-453-5029. Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis, and you just got me today. It's going to be one of those episodes where I talk for a little while and you listen, and hopefully it's encouraging. Recently, I've been going around talking with churches and different organizations. Like yesterday, I was at the Crisis Sea Pregnancy Center, which is an amazing nonprofit here in town in Shreveport, um, helping people just understand how they can be healthier in helping professions. So as a clinician and as a staff, we talk a lot about self-care. So if you're listening to this and you're a mom or a dad or a, you know, healthcare provider, or you work in the ER or a pastor, you know, those are positions, cops, firefighters, those are positions where compassion, compassion fatigue, burnout, and vicarious trauma, all three really, really impact people significantly. And so I just wanted to talk and give some encouragement and bring some awareness to this issue when it comes to compassion, fatigue, burnout, and vicarious trauma. All three of them are different. I think one of the things in our culture that happens is is that people kind of lump them all into one category, but they're really different. So we'll start with vicarious trauma. Vicarious trauma, people who experience vicarious trauma are people who see or experience other people's pain and trauma all the time. So they see it, they may see a car wreck, they may hear someone's story, their abuse, they may hear a story of divorce or child abandonment, they may be a cop who has to listen to um, you know, calls all the time or take calls all the time where there's violence and, and listen to people explain and process their trauma. And what can happen is, is that the PTSD that a soldier might experience or a victim might experience becomes symptoms that the person also experiences. So hypervigilance, meaning they're always watching out for themselves. They're always nervous. They always feel like they're anxious. They can have irritability. They can avoid people, places, and things. They can start to feel numb or that they don't care about the things they used to care about. They can start to be angry or irritable. You can have intrusive thoughts or nightmares. So a lot of the same symptoms of PTSD that we see in victims and people who've experienced trauma start to come up in people who have experienced vicarious trauma. And the problem is, is that we minimize trauma to survive. So a lot of us who work with people are like, well, that person actually got abused. I didn't. So I don't have a right to have these symptoms. When in reality, none of us are supposed to hear and experience trauma in the world. And so we can get in our head and we can minimize our own pain. And that just makes a lot of things worse. And so if you're out there and you have PTSD-like experiences or symptoms, because of what you listen to or what your job is out in the world all the time, that's normal. It's not healthy, but it's normal. And there's this illustration that uh, this scientist gives. He has this bottle of water and he takes the cap off and he shakes the bottle of water and water goes all over the place. And he says, why did 
the water spill and he waits for the audience and somebody says, because you shook the bottle or because you, um, you know, were stressed out or because, you know, you're doing whatever. There's, you know, gravity in the world. And so the water falls. And his answer is, well, the, the real answer is because there's water in the bottle. And the premise is, is that we, we can't change our environment. You know, a cop listening to this, a firefighter, a mom with a special needs kid, like we'd all love for stressors and trauma to go away. But the reality is, is that the world's going to shake. Things are going to happen to us that shake us up, that are difficult. The wind and the rain falls on the just and the unjust, scripture says. So suffering and difficulty are going to happen. We can't stop that. And we do better to work on the water inside of our bottle not being at the brim. And so what is the water? The water is toxic stress. It's exposure and experiences that are difficult. And that same bottle of water, if you pour half of it out and shake it the same amount, no water comes out. So we have to be responsible as care providers and as people on this earth to maintain a healthy level of water in our bodies, in our souls, in our spirits, so that when things shake up, when things are difficult, we're not pouring out all over pe people. There's a quote that says, you know, we don't want to bleed on people who don't didn't cut us. And I believe that. I believe that when we don't deal with our own trauma and our own triggers and our own issues, then it spills out all over the place. You know, it's having a long day at work, being very frustrated and coming home and our kids are just being kids or our wife is just being a wife or our husband's just being a husband. And they've done the same thing they've done a hundred times, but all of a sudden we don't have the patience for it. We don't have the window of tolerance for it. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. So what's the difference in vicarious trauma and burnout? Burnout is more of the exhaustion. It's the person who's at work and they just can't do anything right. They're not coming in on time. They're not doing their job well. They're starting to drop you know, their, their responsibilities and it's starting to affect the workplace or the home life. Um, that's burnout. Burnout is more about I physically and emotionally just can't do my job and can't keep up with the tasks that are normally I'm able to juggle and I'm able to handle. And so same type of symptoms, people can be irritable and shut down, but it's more about their ineffectiveness at their job and in their role that they normally can do very well. And lastly, compassion fatigue. What is compassion fatigue? I think I would say compassion fatigue is kind of misnamed. I talked to another therapist friend of mine and we were talking about compassion and the difference between compassion and empathy. And we've talked about this on the podcast before, but really I think empathy fatigue is the problem is that we can't always be empathetic with every situation because in order to be empathetic, we have to relate to the person on a personal level. And so when we have to go into our trauma and our own abandonment and our own issues and our own abuse history, or we're sitting with someone who has suffered you know, a violent act that we've also experienced or an alcoholism issue that maybe our father was an alcoholic, then we have this empathy that's such a superpower, but that also cuts on the other side of it that can exhaust us and burn us out when we go into our empathy all the time. And so I think we need to be compassionate and we can be compassionate and have sympathy. We can recognize where that person's at. We can meet them where they're at. We can hear that story and hold that space. But when we're too empathetic, all the time when we go into it and make it about us then we really can do some damage to our soul and to ourself and we just start to become numb you know as a therapist who hears abuse cases all the time or who works in human trafficking <clears throat> we can be desensitized to normal things you know we can be talking about things that seem you know commonplace for us to talk about but then the average person who you know works at 
Target or works at a school or works somewhere, you know, who doesn't deal with all these things, let's say a lawyer friend of yours, you could be talking about some content or situation and they, they're just mind blown by it, right? We see this a lot in, in firefighters and first responders where they've seen a lot of dead bodies, they've dealt with a lot of dead people. And so they can be standing around joking, you know, with a dead person in the room. And even I've heard, you know, people say they've, they've made jokes about that situation and then realize, man, that was horrible but it's that dark humor that helps people survive and that's when i I would say that empathy fatigue that that is that is gone and we've lost that tolerance for humanizing people and keeping people in the right perspective um and so in in this way we we have to be able to engage in this work work without burning out and so dr stan siegel created this idea of what's called the window of tolerance. And so many of you might have heard this before, but the window of tolerance is what what our ability is to deal with difficult situations, to stay attuned, to stay connected, to stay in the moment and keep boundaries, to feel safe and to uh, stay present with the person that's with you. And all of our windows of tolerance are smaller or larger, depending on one, the situation we're in, and two, our own resiliency, what we've been through in life, what we can deal with in life, stressors that we've been through. And so a lot of times we get in situations that other people can handle and we fall off the handle or we shut down. And so those are the two options. You have hypo and you have hyper. When you get outside your window of tolerance, you either freak out and yell and scream and, and get really aggressive or you shut down completely and walk away and you're done. And so if you find yourself, you know, at night, you're, you're trying to cook dinner and your kids are being loud and you're every, you know, overloaded and you're freaking out when your kids are just being kids. It's usually because that, that water bottle is filled to the brim and any kind of shaking is going to make all the water spill out of it. And so we've got to practice building a window of tolerance. So how do we do that? <clears throat> well, there's a couple of things that we have to do two primary ones. And, and if you think about a window, right, that's stuck and you got to open this window to be able to let some fresh air in and and be able to calm down and be able to ground, then what you need is WD-40, right? You need the oil that's going to grease up that door window to let that window open. And, and what that, you know, oil is, or that WD-40 is, is one is safety. And the other is doing the thing that makes you uncomfortable in small doses. So a little bit of stress inoculation, like you have to have a safe environment to practice doing things that make you uncomfortable. And then you have to do those things. And so we have to know our triggers and we have to know the lies that people tell us. And then ultimately we have to depersonalize the situation that's going on. So when our toddler is throwing spaghetti on the floor for the 14th time, that doesn't really have anything to do with our worth and value or security. That has to do with that toddler's development and what they're doing. But when we get in the situation where we're flooded and overwhelmed and we're triggered and we're feeling like not a good parent or we're feeling like we can't deal with this one more day, we start making it about us and our worth and our value. Then we start getting triggered and dysregulated. And then we're outside the window of tolerance, melting down and freaking out over something that every toddler does. It's a normal developmental stage, a normal thing they do. Or maybe our husband or wife has put the dishes in the dishwasher the wrong way or left their toothbrush out or they forgot to make the bed or they're coming home late after working a hard day. And normally we can handle it and all of a sudden, boom, we're blowing up. It's usually because we feel offended, we feel neglected, we feel not good enough, we feel dysregulated. And so 
we make that about our pain and, and rightly so in some cases, I'm not saying that's not the case. What I'm saying is that we have to figure out as human beings, how do we optimize our ability to cope with this broken world? That's what I'm really talking about when it comes to building a window of tolerance is that we have to figure out how we can take personal responsibility to be able to bring our own safety, to bring our own boundaries, to bring our own presence of mind into situations. And so how do we do this? Well, if you're a people pleaser, right, you can practice saying no, right? The worst thing for a people pleaser is to say no to somebody when they ask you. So don't start with a big one. Start with something small, you know, at a restaurant or at a situation. No, I don't really want to do that. No, I don't really want any more cheese on this salad. You know, I mean, people pleasers, the, the person at Olive Garden's like, you want, you know, you want more cheese and they're just going and going and going. And you're like, I don't even want cheese, but I'm going to eat it anyway. It's better for us as people pleasers to say, Hey, no, I don't want to eat there. I want to eat here. I don't want to drive. I'll let you drive. Those are the ways that we can build our window of tolerance for people who are perfectionists. And you're going to hate this, but making mistakes, screwing up, leaving something undone. These are ways that we can grow and that we can really in, encourage that window of tolerance to realize like, oh, I didn't do it all perfect. I left it a mess a little bit. I went to sleep with dishes in the sink, right? I know you're cringing. I went to sleep with dishes in the sink and everything was okay. Nothing went wrong. The world did not end. If we're a fixer, one of the things we can do as a fixer is listen to people, hear their stories and don't give them advice. You know, as fixers, man, people want to just tell you the right thing, tell you the truth, give you some help. And they're like, if I don't do that, I'm, I'm anxious. I'm, I'm nervous. Well, if your spouse has told you a hundred times, like, I just want you to listen to me and you can't do that. We have to practice doing that. We have to do those things. Same thing for avoiders or peacemakers, right? Is like, go to that person who you're upset with and say, Hey, this hurt my feelings or this was an issue or I didn't like this and practice those small steps. And, and as you do that in a safe way with safe people, you put oil in that window and you're able to open it up and widen it a bit to where you're able to tolerate and deal with things a lot better and you're regulated and not freaking out all over the place. And so why is this important? It's important because you deserve to function in life, not like a toddler, not like a teenager, but like an adult. We have fully functioning brains and prefrontal cortexes that should allow us to make rational thought, that should allow us to dance between our feelings and our emotions and our logic and rational thinking. But when trauma happens, that prefrontal is damaged, that right brain is turned on, that left brain is turned off, and we're just running around triggered and, and dysregulated and our nervous systems are all jacked up. And really that's what it's about. It's about our brains are on fire trying to keep us safe, trying to find a way that we don't re-experience that thing we experienced in the past. And so some of the questions that you can ask yourself, right, when you're trying to figure these things out, I want you to maybe write some of these down today. Um, I wrote a few down for us, but some of the questions you can ask yourself are, what does this situation remind me of? So when you're dysregulated and upset and you feel like things are out of control, what does this remind me of? What's happened in my life that this is bringing back up again? Because our inner child, that, that trauma from the past is going to come up and say, not again. I'm not doing this again. Never again. I'm not going to go through this situation one more time. What age do I feel? I don't know about you guys, but man, I'm, I'm 41. You know, I have a business. I'm a parent. I've been married 14 years. And yet I see pictures of myself or I'll see a podcast, even probably like this clip. And I'm like, oh, I look like an adult. You know, I feel like a child sometimes in situations, especially when I deal with my parents or especially when I deal with a, a boss or a, a supervisor or a, a, somebody coming in with authority. You know, I can feel 12 again. 
So to go back and go, what, what is the situation? What age do I feel when my wife talks to me this way or when I'm in this conflict with my kids or when I'm having to lead this meeting? What age do I feel? And a lot of times we'll feel young and we can go back to that time period. And I want you to write you know, some things that happened that made you feel those feelings. How do I feel stuck or helpless right now? Like what, are, what is really going on? I feel out of control. I feel stuck. I feel like I can't do anything about this. And, and why is that? What am I actually feeling is another great question. Most people can say I'm happy or I'm sad, but they can't really name lonely or isolated or judged or criticized or not good enough. These are other feelings. And so we have to have a robust understanding of our feelings and, and insight into what we think and what comes up in our bodies. Speaking of, where do I feel this in my body? That's a great one. You know, is it in my stomach? Is it in my head? It's in the behind my eyes. It's in the back of my neck. You know, when I work with people with trauma, especially I'll have people who they have something they want to say, or they have something they never got to say. And so their throat will be itchy or scratchy or tight when we're talking about emotions and something will be stuck. And they just need to say, man, I shouldn't have been through that or I didn't deserve that or, or God loves me. Speaking of God, we can always ask ourselves, what does God think about this situation? What has God promised me in these situations? One of the things we can do is pray the promises of God in, in moments. And if, if, we, if we don't know the promises of God, if we haven't been in his word, if we don't know what he says about life and death and suffering and parenting and marriage, then we can't pray those promises. And so Maybe start your prayers this week with the promises of God, that he has promised to go before us and with us, that he's promised to make good for those who love him, that he's promised to take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for good, that he's promised that he's redeemed us and restoring us as we go, that he's started a work in you that he's not going to be done with until it's finished. And if we stack our prayers and our thoughts on top of these promises, then, man, we can really move mountains with our faith, as, as God says in, in Scripture. What does this say about how I trust people or how I love people or how I trust myself or how I love myself? And what does this situation say about my worth and my security? What's the goal of these questions? The goal of these questions is to, in a safe way with ourselves or with a best friend, kind of dig down into what my belief system is. Not just what I think and feel on a daily basis, but what do I actually believe? Because my beliefs shape my thoughts and feelings, which shape my actions. And if we want to change our actions, if we want to change our behaviors, then we've got to get into the roots of our belief about God, about ourself, and about other people. And most of us just spend our lives being so busy and so stressed out and running from one thing to the next so that we don't have to feel our feelings and so that we don't have to deal with our problems and so that we don't have to you know, feel the pain that's underneath there, or the fear that's underneath there. We can just stay busy going to sporting events and going to church and doing activities and performing and producing and going on and on and on. And some of us do that for God, to please him and to make him happy and to be a good boy and girl. When in reality, we are worthy and we are valuable because God says that we are and because of the work that he did in Christ Jesus and in the Holy Spirit, who we receive and can do good works because of. So we have to stick in that belief system. Speaking of beliefs, what what do we believe in? The, we're talking about vicarious trauma and burnout and compassion fatigue. Then we have to have a robust understanding of suffering. We have to really understand what do I believe about suffering? Why am I suffering? Why do people suffer? There's some rich theology to happen there, and I don't have all the answers. I wish I could give you all the answers for that. I still question 
some of the things in the world that happen. And God tells us it's okay to lament and question him. There are Psalms that we can read and pray in times of suffering that ask God good, deep questions. David asked lots of questions in song. How long, O Lord, have you turned your face from me? How long will you let me suffer? These are questions we can ask. But our beliefs about these things, as we work with people suffering and as we suffer with them, we have to have a robust way of looking at it. So we have to look at questions like, you know, when we think, is this happening to me? What's happening to me? Is this my fault? Is this a punishment? Do I deserve this? Do they? We've got to have some answers there. We've got to be able to look deep within ourselves and go, what do I actually believe about these things? Because if we don't look at faulty belief systems, if we don't look at the things that are broken down underneath all of it, then it's going to shape our thoughts and feelings. It's going to shape our actions. And we're going to be incongruent. What we believe and what we say we believe deep down is going to be different than what's actually playing out in the world or vice versa, right? Our actions, we we may have all these behaviors that look good out to the world, but at night when we go home or in our heads in the car on the way home or even actively while we're helping other people, we're telling ourselves lies and listening to lies that's causing anxiety and angst and fear. So just, I want to leave you with a few things. These are simple things that we can do to help our nervous system, right? Grounding exercises are great. So these are things like name five things in the room, deep breathing, going through our five senses. Those are very helpful grounding. Putting my feet on the floor right now, like if you're sitting listening, feel the chair, the car you're sitting in, grab the steering wheel that you're you're holding on to. If you're running, listen to this or exercising, feel the weights, feel the, the pound of the pavement. Be present in your body. Put yourself in the moment, in your body. Be mindful. One of the things we've been doing at church is Lectio Divina. This is reading scripture and then praying that scripture over and saturating your mind and your heart and your soul with the word of God. I did Psalm 139 recently, and it says, when I go to hell, you're there. When I go to the skies, you're there. That you hem before me and behind me. And then you pray about that. You say, God, wherever I go, you're there. Thank you so much for being before me and behind me. I know that if I'm in a stressful time or if I'm in a good time, you're in both of those places. You're present there. And saturate yourself and sit in the truth of Scripture, which will ground you, which will allow the Holy Spirit to flow and be present in you. Breath prayers. Recently, I've been doing this prayer called the Jesus Prayer. It's, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And just trying to keep that on my lips all day. Every time I think about it, every time I, I I do something or I have a moment, keeping that going, and and it becomes this mantra that's running. And you can, you know, there's a bunch of prayers you can look up and do, but Scripture says to keep those things on our tongue and on our hearts, put them on the door frames of our house, so that we can not just pray and do these obedient things and read the Bible and you know follow the task, but so we can be reminded in the face of the world and of Satan and our own flesh what is true. And how we can get through all the suffering and, and pain that's in there. Exit and wait. You know, if you're in that situation where your window of tolerance is too wide, tag out, take a break, take a moment, walk away, say some prayers. I think two other things that are practical is a cold shower. I had a client yesterday talking about how, you know, they they do a two minutes at the end of every shower, a minute at the end of every shower. They just put it all, all the way on cold and how it's so refreshing and wakes them up and gets them going. And yeah, it's painful and it's not fun. But man, if you do something like that, you, you put yourself in your body. If you have anxiety, you put yourself in the moment. And the opposite's true for a hot bath or a sauna. 
Get in there, get the sweat going, get a workout going, sweat it out, reduce your caffeine. I know that's a sinful thing to say, but watch your coffee. And definitely if you're drinking energy drinks, you know, my, my least favorite thing we were laughing yesterday in the hallway, because people will come in with a 20 ounce monster and they're at four o'clock at in the afternoon. Like, I don't, I'm really anxious. I'm really worked up. I'm having intrusive thoughts. And it's like, well, have you ever thought about the 7,000 milligrams of caffeine that you've had today? You know, and I know we can say, well, I need it and I got to keep going. Well, that means you're not getting enough sleep, which is the other one. And then lastly, put your phone down, get off the news, get off the toxic messaging and engage with the people around you. Be present, be in the moment. So these are some ways that I hope is helpful for those of us who work and really anybody. I mean, it's, it's not just firefighters and first responders. All of us are living in a world right now that's kind of on fire. And we have nine months until an election. We've got a season of, of chaos and crisis in the world. It feels like everything is at war or is in pain or is, the, you know, the taxes and are coming up and, you know, the, everything costs a thousand more dollars. Bottles of water are like seven bucks. I mean, it's, it's insane where we're at. But the scripture is clear that, that that's where we're going to be, that this is not our home and that these things are, are going to happen. And so it's, it's how we suffer that matters. It's how we manage the pain and the process that matters. Everybody's going to suffer. You're not suffering because you're less than or unworthy or because you've done something to cause it. You're suffering and we're struggling because we live in a fallen world. But Jesus promises to walk with us through that and, and ride that storm with us. And sometimes he'll stop the storm and sometimes he rides it to the shore. But he guarantees us that he will be with us the entire time and that he is a savior that is empathetic. He's a high priest that is empathetic to our pain and because he's been through it and he's walked through it on this earth. And so go to him, run to him with your pain, run to him with your sin, run to him with your brokenness, run to him with your fears. And he says, I will give you rest. Get some rest this week. God bless you guys. Have a good one.